the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz screaming into the blackness scouse bell. Yeah, so uh, I, I we've heard from a lot of you guys. Um, you know, we know what you want us to say and, and we're going to say that, but... Uh, uh, we're we're going to go through this um, maybe about halfway through. I might be sucking so much that John's going to take over and play, <laughs> and, and really lead, lead this podcast on going well. Um, but he might get hurt, and then Scuzz is going to take, <laughs> take us down, down the stretch. So uh, how, oh, how's that sound yeah. to you guys? Sure. Should, then, should I start the screaming end... now or should <laughs> I wait until later? And then we'll sign off sifting through the rubble, wondering where we go from here. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, so there, there's a lot to talk about with this Duke game, um, and yeah, you know, we should probably start with the start because you know it, against Michigan State and against Duke, the the start of these games have been atrocious, absolutely atrocious. And I mean, there's there's no sugarcoating that. Well, th- this was worse. Yeah, um, no, it was for sure. So I mean, here's the thing, like. The first two games, um, there were certainly things we didn't look like, particularly that Michigan State game. But in neither one of those games was it an embarrassing result. Um, yeah, we got down, you know, fourteen nothing against against Michigan State. But turns th- out Michigan this, State might be good. Well, and even even still, like, well, I guess it was twenty one nothing against Michigan State. So that that was that was embarrassing. But like, we made that game. Um, came back in that game a little bit like as we've as we've diagnosed it like there were very specific issues around contain and tackling angles and yeah Northwestern wasn't ready but but this was a true embarrassment against Duke because it wasn't just that you had players making mistakes some of the same mistakes that we've seen it wasn't just that Northwestern players uh looked outmatched at times or, or just simply confused on where to go or what to do but the whole like the whole program like stuff that wasn't a problem in the Michigan State game was a problem in this game and stuff like guys that we've seen perform well on this team were out of sorts and it just it just feels like the entire program is lost within itself yeah i mean and, and kind of how we've gotten to this place and I mean, we'll get into some of the specifics, and I think we'll probably start with offense, go to defense. We've gotten lots of comments from a lot of you wanting us to talk about both. Um, A lot of people tend to want to talk about one thing. A lot of people tend to want to talk about the other thing. We'll get to it. Um, I think, but uh, but the but the unifying factor is 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 coaching. Like like as much as we we point to on game day, this guy isn't where he should be, or that guy is is slower than we wish he was at that position. Like. There's there's a massive problem from and I'm not I'm not talking about Jim O'Neill here. We're going to like I'm talking about Fitz and the 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 whole program feels flat right now. You don't see the the intensity or the um, urgency from players on the field that you saw all of last season. There is something lacking right now. I I think to, to your point, right, and I think that's just a flat. There's a feeling of rigidity right now, 
and I think you see it kind of on both sides of the ball. And I think one of the things that bothered us, and again, unlike Michigan State, I mean, I hate to put the cart before the horse, and if we're wrong, we're wrong. But, like, don't be surprised if Duke gets into ACC season and has a really rough go of it. Um, Like, this is a team that lost to Charlotte that wasn't an accident. One of the things that I think bothered us a lot about this game particularly is regardless of what issues are and what the 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 idea of well you know we got to get this fixed in practice we're going to see it fixed in practice you have to take yourself out of that and view it from an opposing team and the way an opposing team like duke is like here are the problems we perceive those problems are going to be there for us when this game shows up because we perceive that there will be no radical fixes presented within that program and they're going to present something from the perspective of like, we just got to coach them up better. But scheme-wise and personnel-wise, everything will be the same for us and we're going to take advantage of that. And that's exactly what they did on both sides of the ball. They know they knew who to attack. They knew how to attack those guys, and they got maximum success doing that. And I think that's one of the bothersome things for us because there are a lot of pieces to be picked up. There are a lot of things that got to be sorted out. There are positives to be taken out of this. You know, that's particularly that second half comeback. But there are these underlying issues that you can see and see the way Duke handled it and find a hard time to talk yourself out of. All the teams that we're going to play in the Big Ten schedule are probably going to look at this the exact same way and attack it the exact same way if something doesn't change. I mean, turnover. Uh, let's start with turnovers. Yeah, maybe, maybe we, let's start with first half offense. Yeah, and then sure, and, like maybe we just talk first half and everything was horrible, and then we'll we'll come around and, and talk a little bit about the second half comeback. And and, and really, <laughs> like the the big story in the first half was turnovers and like. And you could see it just escalating and escalating. You know, the the first Hunter fumble. I mean, they came with an all-out blitz. Guy came completely untouched. Hunter had no chance to get rid of it. Fumble. You know, that stopped what was a really, really good drive going. Then he throws a bad interception. Then he throws a worse interception. Then he throws a worse interception. Like, it just kept escalating. And, you know... It, it seemed like he, he was getting bothered by the pressure. He was, wasn't was seeing the field properly. And, you know, two of those interceptions, he's like th- falling backwards, throwing off his back foot, had nothing behind it, and just threw up these. See, like... No, I totally disagree. Okay, okay. I, I, I rewatched it just a few minutes ago, and those those passes are, are, I mean, they're not lasers, but it's not falling backwards throwing up a duck. He, oh, well, he was falling. He backwards. can't. He can't. But he can't throw ducks. His he's got a cannon for an he, arm. He he just completely misses the fact that there's a linebacker who can step into the line of the throw. I mean, I like on on one one of them. He throws it over the head of his receiver. Maybe that's the one where you know he's he's on his back foot and it sails. Like he tends to throw off his back foot. He has the arm where he can get away with it, but um. I mean, on, on two of those, he just completely misses the fact that there's a defender uh, toward the middle of the field that can just take three steps over and pick the pass off. And it just it's like a complete crisis of confidence that that you see unravel after that fumble. And what's so galling about it is that, well, two two things for me bother me. So the first is that those first two series, I like I don't know what preparation went into the first series for Northwestern. And, you know, 
we've we've said our piece about Mick McCall many many times, but one thing he usually did all right was a, an opening scripted drive that was pretty good, and they you know. The, the Northwestern comes out and gets a false start off the bat. Delay then, a game. Delay a game. First play was yeah, a delay de- of game. Delay a game, which is kind of inconceivable on in the first play. Um, and then, you know, two two incompletions and a, a, a telegraphed run on second down that only gets one yard. The exact same thing minus the delay of game on the second drive. And I'm kind of thinking, like, we have these big body running backs and Duke's D line is super lightweight. Like what the hell are we doing here? Drive three actually looks good. Like Hunter is doing everything you want him to. He throws downfield. Uh, he, he hits the nice curl to Robinson. And then we see Tyus jump into the cam Porter, um, wildcat role that we, that we saw was so successful toward the end of last year, bowling people over. I mean, like, take yourself out of everything that happened thereafter. Like that drive felt like we're getting back in the game and yeah. Then Duke rushes seven. We completely missed the linebacker coming through the B gap. I mean like the most, the most dangerous place, like at least if you let, if you force the guy to go around the edge, you're buying the QB an extra second or two, but this is almost straight up the middle and crushes him. There's a, you know, there's a similar play. I think it was a fourth and seven against Michigan state where we missed a linebacker coming up the gut and we're just, I mean, it, it, it's hard when they rush seven and you only have six blockers. Um, and, and, and like, that was set up because we had a seconding goal at the one and then a false start took us back to the six, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just like, and, and there's so many more examples of that throughout the game, right? Bad holding penalty, personal foul, like, like, like things that disrupted Northwestern. We can't get out of our own way. But what's really galling to me is, like, Hunter clearly loses the plot, right? Throws those two bad picks right run one right after another yes you want to have confidence in your quarterback yes you want to demonstrate that confidence but three straight drives within with with turnovers and they put him back out there two more times and it doesn't go well and that's the point where the game's almost unsalvageable and it like again that like the rigidity that john talked about and kind of the lack of like doing anything different or trying anything new. I've, I've made this illusion many times, but in 2009, Northwestern stubbornly threw RB fields into the offensive line every first half over and over and over again. And didn't do, it didn't work. And it wasn't until later in games or even later in the season that they're like, we better open things up or we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to lose all these games. And, and, you can't help wondering if there's like a Fitzy in like, this is just the non-conference and it doesn't matter that much mentality here. Um, God, I hope it's that. And that we come out with something more like intelligent and cohesive in conference season. But um, like, like worst case, what are we doing? Like this is, this is horrible for the brand. It's horrible for, for, for the mentality of the players and of the fans that like, we're all just tearing our hair out at this point. Well, totally. And I think the Hunter piece of it, right, because a lot of people, I mean, there are going to be a lot of you who are like, you guys have been Hunter defenders historically, so like eat your crow or whatever. And what I'm about to say, I, I, you know, I don't want to frame it from a perspective that like we're defending a guy who had an atrocious game, right? Four turnovers. And I mean, you can make an argument they were all on him. That fumble, again, he should have got it out, but I don't know that play was dead in the water before the ball was even snapped. But 
there is something that that bears mentioning because I mean at this point we've got the the depth you know we've seen the depth chart you know <laughs> the aforementioned more oars than a Viking warship in the quarter in the quarterback position right um, but if we're betting we're going to Vegas and we're putting a bet down on this it's Hunter Johnson or Ryan Holinsky probably we don't we want it to be Andrew Marty I'm just saying at this point in time we don't what? know and what. And, you know, well, that's do we want it to be Andrew Marty? I mean, well, let let me put a pin in this because, first of all, like if he's healthy, like I, yes, I 100% do. And I'll I'll explain why later. But the point I want to make now is this. If it is Hunter Johnson or Ryan Holinsky coming out, I just want people to understand. And Scuzz alluded to this earlier, which is by the time like you realize Hunter doesn't throw his first pick until we've already had three different drives. And we haven't talked about this yet, but it is a, I mean, it's, it's the major issue and it's the thing that started the snowball rolling downhill in this game. And it's the thing that screwed us to, you know, two games prior to this, the interior pass pro of this offensive line is an absolute mess right now. We have talked about it the past couple of games of it just being this thing that just pops up. And then instead of improving in this game, it completely metastasized. And Hunter, at that point, like, first of all, we know, like, we've all, we've done the Hunter analysis, right? Throws the prettiest ball you'll ever see, can hit his mark from anywhere on the field, gets a little squirrely in the pocket, is not a guy who's super comfortable standing in there, especially if he's not confident in the guys in front of him. And he had no reason to be confident in that group after the first three drives. It was a sieve through the middle of the field. Uh, through the interior of our offensive line against the pass. It was just guys getting burned. And, you know, we should mention Josh Pree was out for this game. We don't, you know, we don't know why. We don't know why. Um, he's listed on the depth chart for this game, and we hope that he's going to be back. Preeb, of course, like everyone in the interior, has had his problems handling the, the rush up the middle. Um, but we had a totally green lineman coming and replacing him, and it was it was really rough. Um, See, I'm not going to disagree with anything you just said, John, but it's not just the middle of the line. I I watched an end go right around Skaronsky to pressure uh, Hunter on the second drive, I think. Like, like. Yeah, and 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 Wiedeker false started earlier. Like, everyone had problems. There's no doubt about that. But this is like this. This kind of goes back to this overall mentality and and sense of, of lack of preparation and cohesion with the team. Because. When I look at the offensive line in that space, when I when I look at the de- the defenders, uh, the defense for Northwestern, and I, I just I see a lack of physicality um, across the team that is very different from last year. I mean, last year's Wildcats were like coming out to punch you in the mouth, and I I said this at the very end of our of our preseason preview that there's you know there's something intangible. When you look at Northwestern's team last year and the, the leadership within the squad, a Greg Newsom, a J.R. Pace, um, a Nick Urban, uh, Riley Lees, like, like, of course, Patty Fisher. RCB. RCB as well. There was an intensity and an urgency to the way they approached last season. And it does seem like Northwestern has really lost that at the beginning of this year. And... Of course, you're losing games. You're going to lose confidence. You're 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 going to be tentative at times. Um, 
but I don't see I don't see the physicality. I don't see the the sense of purpose and whether whether that means that nobody has stepped up in the locker room from a player perspective to kind of take ownership and make plays and this is you know this dovetails with a point about Andrew Marty later in this podcast but um you know that 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 rings true with things we've heard from Dan Persa in the past about how critical it is for for leaders on the team to step up and take charge but there's a there's an element to the coaching staff too and that they you know they curate this team and they 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 push the leadership principles and what whatever it is it's not working for anyone and that, i guess that's my biggest point right now is that you know you see so many so many fans out there are grasping at straws right now like who do i blame fire jim o'neill like what is going on hunter's the worst and guys it's everybody it's like the whole it, program's on fire right now there is and and again like there is this larger theme that so much of this is fits in the way fits does things and and you know that's why a lot of people fit you know a lot of people are gonna say right that like this always happens and then northwestern gets it together and pulls it together at the end and this is fits his way and you know you should ride it and i mean maybe you or, or or coming off a big a big year, you know they can't sustain right. it, right? Right. But I mean, it's like it's the it's like there there are so many things that there's no other way to explain it than this is just the way Fitz does it, right? We're looking. I'm looking at the depth chart right now for this season, right? Uh, like it's so many things just have been rubber stamped since the start of the year. Ben Rather's listed as backup center. We literally know this is not true because <laughs> our center went out in this game. And Charlie Schmidt slid over into that spot. And Rayther came in and played at guard. All we heard all summer was that Ben Rayther was playing all over the line, right? Playing at all these different spots, looking really promising, was going to be the utility guy, first guy off the bench. Um, he doesn't start this game in a position of need. It quickly, I mean, I'm not going to say, like, again, we don't know. It just... The, the choices that were made at the start of the game led to things going really wrong really quickly from a pass pro perspective. And it's just so, so it's like, you can't trust what's on the depth chart. And, but at the same time, you know, it becomes really clear, right? That it's like, regardless of what's on the depth chart, regardless of what's on the roster, Fitz is dancing with certain guys and he is dancing until they turn off the lights with those guys. And, that's kind of just like one of those things um, where, where you know, it just kind of comes up. And, you know, it's, it's, it's weird because you talk about the, the, the intensity, right, from an offensive perspective. And on one sense, you know, it's like there's kind of that thing where it's like a defensive lineman gets up, splits, splits your center and your guard and gets up the middle, gets into the quarterback's, the quarterback's face and either lights him up or forces an incomplete pass or an interception or whatever. Like, you know, someone should be screaming at those offensive linemen at the end of that play, Hunter ain't going to be that guy. Andrew Marty might be that guy. Ryan Halinski might be that guy. But if it's not going to be the quarterback or whatever, like someone else like has got to be, you know, someone else has got to be could be out there being like, what's going on, guys? Like lighting a fire under somebody. Um, so, you know, there's that whole thing. And, and then there's the, the, there's the whole O'Neal piece of it on the defensive side that I want to get into. But I just want to see, you know, if there's anything else you want to cover on offense first. No, I mean the only other thing that to me like it's kind of a conundrum is is the run game, and I mean you look at the stats at the end of the day and they're they're pretty darn good. They I, are. I, we got a good I, run blocking line and good running backs. <laughs> like like the to me that it's 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 stunning that 
of our first six plays, four were passes. And I get that this is a, you know, <laughs> you can make this criticism either way, right? Like, like this is a classic, you know, armchair Monday morning quarterback. Um, but it's, it's surprising to me that we didn't take a more, and and this, this goes back to the rigidity and the, you know, the, the sense that the scheme is not going to change week to week. The approach is not going to change week to week. You're, you know, Duke knows what Northwestern is bringing and Northwestern's mentality is we're just going to execute it better than you. And I think about that. And then I think about the difference between Duke and Michigan state on, on defense. And why are we loading up with our good run blocking O-line and two big bodies at tight end? And you know, whether it's Tyus or Claire in the backfield and pounding these guys and then letting you know, letting Johnson run on a keeper, bringing in Evan to mix up with speed. Like, it, like it, it just, it's surprising that we haven't seen them try that yet. And of, of course this game got out of hand really fast and we had to throw the ball, but um, it just, it just feels like we're, we're thinking with only half our brain right now. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's, I totally agree. And again, like you talk about the running stuff, like there's the, the, there's the Marty piece of it, and then there's like kind of the Marty piece leading into the second half and, and some of the changes and everything. And I feel like, you know, we can get to that in a second, maybe when we talk about save the, the save the yeah, save the save the silver linings. Yeah, right? exactly. Some of the silver linings, exactly. Um, but the thing that I, I think we have to get into now, and um, I kind of have a specific way that I, I, I want to talk about this because we've heard from a ton of people. Scuzz alluded to it already, being like. Are you guys going to take the gloves off and go after Jim O'Neill now or not? It's been three games. Um, give me a break. We've had to watch two of the worst defensive first halves you're ever going to see. Um, and it's like enough. Take the gloves off and go after Jim O'Neill. And <clears throat> it is like, make no mistake, folks. Our gloves are off. The question is like the extent to which we can or want to go at Jim O'Neill is the issue. And I guess I'd start by saying, in the aftermath of this game, I um, confess that I was basically gaslighting myself. And I'm going to tell you right now, part of the reason I wanted to say I'm gaslighting myself is just to feel the collective eye roll of hundreds of our listeners at the same time. (laughs) That's really part of it. I I can feel you all doing it right now, being like, like, at least 50, 50 of you just were like, Oh really? Were you triggered after you gaslit yourself? I can just see you all like saying that right now. Gaslighting was not in the uh, the the notes ahead of this show. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a not a word you wrote down. Yeah, uh, I just I just wanted to throw that in there, but but also partly because you know all the use of the term blah, et cetera. Like the dictionary definition of it means, right? Like someone making you doubt your own sanity, and I was definitely doing that to myself. Um, in the aftermath relative to the Jim O'Neill stuff when everyone's coming at it, because I was thinking back to when O'Neill was first hired and all that deep tape dive we did on him and everything we looked at, right? And all that stuff and being like, was I just wrong? And he was running stuff that was, you know, in some way closer to what we're running now. And I was just, you know, and I just an idiot. And I was, so then I went back and I watched a ton of tape over the weekend and then, you know, into the start of this week. And people, all the 2014 Browns games, all the 2016 49ers games, it's all on YouTube. Pick one. 
go watch it and just watch the defensive plays. And then ask yourself, if I Googled complete opposite of 2021 Northwestern defense, are these the pictures that would come up? Because I'm pretty sure that they would. And the, like, we've talked about it before. We've talked about it plenty. Scuzz has talked about it plenty, talking about Mike Bajakian. Yes, coordinators need to be flexible. They need to be able to adapt to different situations and use different schemes, etc. Yes, to a point. I'm not going to hire Jeff Munkin away from Army to be my offensive coordinator and then ask him to run a spread passing offense. Like, some guys specialize in certain things, right? So we hired a guy. You watch any of that tape from his time as a defensive coordinator in the NFL. It is three down linemen and looks that drastically change snap to snap. It is the polar opposite of what we're running right now. So so then you ask yourself, well, why would a guy with this kind of professional background be coming in and running, frankly, a more vanilla 4-3-4-2-5 combo than even Mike Hankowitz was running over the past couple of years um, with probably the smallest amount of available, like using the smallest possible amount of available personnel at linebacker and nickel, and why that would be. Well, why indeed? And I would say that in my mind, there are basically two possibilities. Possibility A, possibility B, they both sound like something Fitz would do. <laughs> they do <laughs> but I, I i just want to make this point real quick because you know I, i'm looking back through the drive chart of this game and adjustments were made i mean yes the first three drives were touchdown 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 um and then you know they had a 13 play 84 yard uh drive that ended in a fumble we threw an interception uh they had a short field touchdown after that six plays 44 yards after an interception for a field goal uh, three and out, uh, 14 plays, 69-yard field goal, uh, a short field field goal, then punt, fumble, interception, field goal, or missed field goal, punt, punt, downs, end of game. So yeah. Like, I, well, well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Let's put a pin in the second half. Put a pin in the second I half. I mean, put, they put, scored th- put they, a pin in the, like, the, the second, third, and fourth quarter because after the first quarter, well, the defense changed. Uh, well. Well, the, um, the results changed. Uh, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take an issue with that. I do believe the second half, the defense. I mean, they were still into the second half. Duke was still moving the ball, and they were still putting points. Not on the really. Board. Yeah, they the, they put up was, zero points in the second half. Well, no, the second. I keep telling the second half. We'll get to okay. Okay. Um, you said the, second half. You meant second quarter. quarter. You guys are talking past each other. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The so the, but I would say so there are, there. Are, two ways you can look at this thing relative to O'Neal and scheme, okay? Possibility A is that in, what is it, three weeks, we're going to come out against Nebraska with a 3-4 look, okay? And the reason you haven't seen Jordan Butler, Michael Jancy, Xander Miller, uh, Jalen Rivers, Mac Uyline, Cullen Coleman, etc., is that those guys are somewhere else practicing a different thing. And a lot of you may be thinking that right off the bat, being like, that sounds ridiculous. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I am saying it certainly would fit with fits to be like, 
we are going to use this soft serve vanilla defense we've been running as a placeholder while we install something else. And I'm not going to spring it until the Big Ten West schedule starts because I don't care about anything other than the Big Ten West schedule, which we have ample evidence of. Okay, I'm not saying that's I'm I'm not saying this is true. I'm just presenting it as as a possibility. All right. Possibility B is the other thing. And the other thing is that Fitz is like, I I like Jim O'Neill. I I feel like I mesh with Jim O'Neill. I don't care what scheme he ran. I, I feel like, you know, I, he can just run this scheme. Like, he interviewed well. I like the guy. I get along with him. He fits on our team. He's just going to come in. I've got history with him. But we're still going to run the same scheme. And we are going to run it with the smallest amount of available personnel. I, I, I like my senior guys. These are the guys that I picked. These are the guys that we're rolling with. Come hell or high water. If it goes wrong, we're just going to coach them up until it goes right. Um, and that's the thing. Like, we, all those guys that I listed where I'm like, I'd love to believe that theoretically those guys are, are off playing somewhere else. Like, we have six linebackers on the depth chart. We have played four of those linebackers. Through one game, one of those four guys has one tackle total. And he's a guy who's played a good amount of reps. And this is, mind you, in a situation where we haven't seen any Jalen Rivers, we haven't seen any Xander Miller, we haven't seen any of all of these other guys who we've talked about forever. Like, at this point, it's unclear what has to happen for them to play. Scuzz put up a thing today where it's like, you like a lot of you probably didn't know, and it's an amazing catch by Scuzz. Um... A.J. Hampton is currently second in the nation in passes defended. With seven. With with, seven. With seven. On pace for, what, 30? Right. And when you read that, keep in mind that A.J. Hampton has started zero games as a cornerback in our base 4-3 defense. And keep in mind... That despite that, he has played all of the fourth quarter of two games as a starting corner in our 4-3 defense. And keep in mind that despite that, he's almost certainly not going to start again at corner in our base 4-3 defense against Ohio. And I'll just wrap this up by saying... When I see A.J. Hampton not come out to start in the base 4-3 of that next game, and I see the exact same tight rotation or complete lack thereof in that group, despite the fact that there are two atrocious halves on record now, uh, you know, against this defense in this season, I'm just not going to be looking at Jim O'Neill. I'm going to be looking at the guy who just has a history of operating this way. And that's Pat Fitzgerald. So again, it's like I, it it is what it is. Like I'm, if unless again, unless there's some scenario where we come out and unleash this three four when we get to Big Ten West schedule, this just it is what it is. Like you know, be mad, be apathetic, be despondent, be whatever. But this is the way that we operate, and I I just don't see that that's going to change. 
it's it's it is just I want to go back to your first point because it is just really weird that you would hire a three four guy and granted his last two years he was a DBQ a DB coach in the pros so so maybe you're just saying oh you know pro experience has been in Northwestern fits the pedigree etc but if you wanted a guy to run Mike Hankowitz's defense why wouldn't you take McPherson or uh, McGarrickle who had been running Matt, Mike Hankowitz's defense for the last you know handful of years it's just it's just a really really weird scenario I mean there was there was a really great uh, comment uh, going back and forth with us on Twitter as we were talking about this from Noah Kaufman um, who used to write for Inside NU who who said you know it's a really good point because as a three four guy O'Neill has not been charged with coaching traditional three four uh, four three defensive ends and outside linebackers in contain and uh, edge techniques etc and it just like that seems to be the weakest part of our defense and um it's just it's just hard to not like like sure could it could Jim O'Neill be coaching better absolutely um what whatever they're doing in practice isn't translating to the field and, and frankly that's on everybody player and coach alike but there's just this this really weird like mental disconnect that that I can't I can't get my head around. I I wanted to touch on something too also because again, Sam was talking earlier about the improvement of the defense, right? And the defense did improve. And the, I mean, first of all, credit to the guys. It's not like the guys aren't trying to play their asses off out there. Okay, they are. Again, one of the things that really bothered me, and there's been a couple weeks of doing this where it sucks to try to go over this because... I hate calling out guys and I hate mentioning guys by name. I don't have any interest in doing that. Duke came out. Their offensive game plan in this game was so obvious. It was a mix of two things. The same scheme Cutcliffe has run against every, every it's a mix of two. Like one is the same thing Cutcliffe has done in every Duke game we've played since I don't even know how long, which is play action, quick dump, play action, quick slant, quick play action, quick post. And it's just the, try it's to, the RPO game, right? Right. It's that RPO game and trying to get it out quick and get, get short stuff and, and nickel and dime you down the field. The other part was, I, I'm not friggin' kidding about this. Duke would look and see if certain guys were on the field. And if those guys were on the field, they would just straight target those guys through the air and on the ground. And a huge part of the turnaround... In, and again, I don't want to shortchange these guys played their balls off in the second half of this game on defense. But there came a point where like, we went into halftime and realized we've seen what Duke is going to run in this game. We've seen the plays they're going to run. And bizarrely at this point, we know what they're going to run and where they're going to run it and when based on the personnel we put on the field. So suddenly we're in a situation where it's like you see guys go upfield, you look at the at the the fumble, you know, the fumble Duke had and the interception, and you're like, you can tell we have a bead on what they are gonna run. Because it's like you've you've established your tendencies. Your tendencies are to go at certain guys, 
And now we've realized how exactly you're going to do that. And that's enough to give these guys the edge to have the confidence to feel like they know exactly what they want to do. That's awesome. And you combine that with some guys who are like, seriously, like just got screamed at by fits in the locker room and are, you know, want to light a fire on their buddy body and get after it. That's great. That also doesn't sound sustainable to me. I still feel like going into our next couple of games that there are going to be teams looking at us being like, we're going at those guys and we're attacking those areas because look what Michigan State did and look what Duke did. This team can be had in the first halves of ball games. We look at the sets they run out. There's not a lot of variety. There's not a lot of mixing it up. If we think a guy is covering a guy, he probably is. Um, and that's the way we're going to attack them. And again, I like... I, I know there's probably a lot of people thinking, look, Northwestern's been in this position before and they get it straightened out. I mean, I hope so, because this is the boat that we're in. Like, I, 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 part of me is like, there are five other linebackers that I want to see get a run just to see what we have. So we'll know by the time we get to, um, to, get to the heart of conference schedule. I don't feel like we're going to get that, though. I feel it, like it, we're going to get, the guys you see are the guys you see. Especially with, like, you can play a guy four games and not burn his red shirt. Right. Good point. Yeah. Well, something that's important, important to call out, and this is not about trying to like defend our takes, but just so you guys can understand the thought process that we bring when we're, we're, we're previewing Northwestern and thinking about this team going into the season, right? Like a huge part of, of John, both your and my excitement about the defensive personnel was just the sheer number of, of combinations that you have. Right. And when you're trying to replace, you know, all everything players like Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher, like you're going to need a couple bites at the apple. That's what we were so stoked about is it felt like we had six or seven bites at the apple. We'll see which ones fly. And we're not taking that opportunity right now. And it's just, it's, it's mind numbingly strange, honestly, like, like the point that we've really only played four linebackers in, in, in a unit that, you know, has, has shown some, some lack of speed, uh, to the edge at, at, at certain points and has showed some confusion in pass coverage at certain points. Like, I mean, do the rest of the guys look that bad in practice? It's just a really weird situation. And that's, and that's the thing too. Right. And, um, there, a lot of people have been talking about that, right. That like the idea of like practice players Fitz doesn't believe in the concept of a gamer. He, you know, he wants to see it in practice, et cetera. Okay. But well, well, hold on. Let's. I mean, I want to. I want to attribute that that comment because it was it was JB Butler that made that comment, who obviously right was part of the program for four years and uh, said, you know, hey, my opinion, like it's pretty hard to play guys that aren't that aren't doing well in practice because bad practice habits usually means bad game habits. Um, he, you know, he 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 said that he thought Marty might be the the exception, but like, I mean, like you 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 can't just throw out practice. I mean, I, I know we all like to, to, you know, quote Allen Iverson, but the, the reality is, is you got to set a standard for the program and guys that are either not getting it or not trying hard in practice. Like, right. of course they're not going to play on game day. And that's right. not, I but, mean, and, and that's part of it. Right. Exactly. But, but it's at like, the same time, if, if practice ain't working, like you should probably redo how you're doing uh, practice. Again, I, I can't overstate this enough. Like Duke didn't care how we practiced yeah. the week coming in. Okay. <laughs> Duke only cares about like tendencies and what they're seeing on tape and what they think they're going to see. And that's the same of as all the other guys that are coming out. And we did, we did just want to bring this up too, just because like, again, overall arching tendencies, right? 
if you go back to last season and you look at the running back depth chart from last season, right? Let's take out Jesse Brown, who just just could not play for large stretches of time. And you look at the other four running backs. Those running backs were Cam Porter, Evan Hall, Drake Anderson, and an incredibly hurt Isaiah Bowser, okay? If you could go back to 2020, how would you order that running back depth chart, okay? Because two of those guys basically didn't play for the first half of the season. So, fact, like, it's, there is, yes, there is this idea of earning it in practice, etc. This is also a program and a culture that gets entrenched in certain guys and then wants to ride those guys as long as it possibly can. That's just the way that things operate in this program. And again, it's like we ride or die with that. And for, it for, has for it ill won us, or for for ill or for good, right? Like right, it, it has we have won like, West titles, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but I mean, at the same time, like this is this is a lot of the malaise right now, where you you feel like we're. We feel like we're predictable. We feel like the other teams know what they were, what know exactly what our weaknesses are, know exactly how they're going to attack those, and feel like we're not going to take this, the steps needed to correct those. I'm just like that's what the opponents are thinking right now. Um, and you know, and again, it's like now I think like we should pivot to like the the positives and the good things and like that. And I think in that in that sense, I mean, we talked earlier about the quarterbacks. Um, for me. One of the huge reasons Marty provided such a spark, in addition to just his boxy and and everything and, and his is and his willingness to run, is that when he was on the field, Duke no longer had an idea of what we were going to be doing, and Duke was basically being like, "This guy can and will run at all times. So if you think a run is going to the back, you can't." Because it's just as likely to be going to him, and he's a bull and can get upfield, and that immediately discombobulated Duke. And you combine that with, you know, some good play calling and precision passing. And I feel like that's one of the big things that kind of helped us climb back into this game. I totally agree. We talked about it after um, the Michigan State game that, you know, while Hunter looked great throwing the ball, he struggles sometimes on on, on the the read option or the the, um, the, the option, you know, the, the, the times he has a chance to keep the ball, he, he hasn't taken off and run very often. Um Maybe he doesn't like to run. Maybe he doesn't uh, want to to do that as much. I, I maybe he hasn't been coached that way. I'm I don't know. I don't I don't know what the situation is. But um, there's a reason that you know an astronomical number of, of schools start de- uh, dual threat QBs. It's one of the things we were excited about when they named him because he's fleeter of foot than than Holinsky, who we you know kind of presumed was going to be the starter uh, preseason. And so we're not leveraging that that dual threat aspect now now granted Bajakian scheme is not super reliant on a a running quarterback it's it's typically more of a you know pound you with the running at least historically um pound you with the running backs and then you know use play action but a mobile QB is is you know uh almost table stakes at this point in a, in a lot of uh programs and offensive systems and so yes that totally helps with with Marty the other thing about Marty and and you know I think this is the this is the intangible part of, of the, the the Duke analysis is that, um, and, and again, in, in the esteemable words of J.B. Butler, like, that guy doesn't practice great, but he drops his nuts in, a, in game time. <laughs> he, do, he does. And, I, he, like, 
we there's a and this goes back to something Dan Persa told us and we talked to him what like was it 2017 uh, I, I forget we but it was shortly after a really rough start to the season we were, we were playing Michigan we had Dan Persa on the pod and you know we were all frustrated about the offense and he made the comment that like yeah I know you guys are frustrated with the offensive coordinator and the play calling but sometimes players got to make plays somebody's got to step up and be the voice in the huddle in the locker room whatever and get after it and there's no doubt I mean we've known this since the end of the 2019 season there's no doubt that that is part of Marty's DNA he he is um in in you know he's he's got that moxie that aggressiveness that you know shoot from the hip um you know mentality that has come through in interviews it you know it really came through in spades when when the three QBs were on the podium uh preseason this year at camp and he talked about the urgency of preparing for the role because this was like his last shot at it and I think I think you saw that on on Saturday you saw him come into the game and I I don't know if this is true I have no idea what he was saying to guys in the huddle or to guys on the sidelines or in the locker rooms I have no idea I have no idea what his relationship is to any of the players but to the fans eye it looked like he galvanized the team when he came on the field and then he reinstalled confidence in the team uh, on the offense. It's hard to not look at the, the change in the defensive performance and feel like it was somewhat related. And, you know, analytically speaking, we know these things uh, <laughs> go, go in tandem at times. Um, when when an offense is turning the ball over constantly or going three and out nonstop, like that's mentally destabilizing for a defense. You, you, you lose the motivation or the will to go fight through tackles or fight through blocks and, and put hits on people. So... Um, that just that leapt off the page. Um, at the same time, you know, whether it was really good play calls, timely play calls, the the, the, discom- the discombobulation because of his running threat that you just that you described, John, like Marty had the luxury of throwing touchdowns to extremely wide open players. So I just I just want to emphasize that because this is not a situation where like like he's not the precision passer that Hunter Johnson is, and that's not me saying one should play over the other. That's just the reality now he might give us a better chance to win but he's like he's he played the illinois game last year and he played a quarter and a half of this game against duke and there's a lot of folks out there right right now anointing him as like the last great hope for northwestern in 2021 and yeah and it's just a little a little um uh out of our over our skis for my for my taste so so i completely get that. And I totally I totally agree with everything you said. I think Hunter Johnson, I mean Hunter Johnson throws a better ball and we don't have any evidence Marty makes reads better than Hunter Johnson. Like I yep, know truth. everyone wants to poke holes in Hunter Johnson's ability to read, but we don't. Why I'm so glass half full on Marty and just I mean I'm more than that. I'm I'm all in is because we've been talking for weeks about the missing piece in the running game and that the missing piece yep. being that the defense again that it is we have good run blockers and good running backs and some the defense is just there are if they see a run look they just key on the back so hard and you well, put marty you put marty in and that goes out the window and when we say good run blocks we should we should we should emphasize this northwestern's offensive line is not wisconsin they're not going to come out and maul people and blow them off the line that is not what you're going to see from northwestern it's not the type of players we have it's not the type of scheme we have it is a technical blocking scheme more like a zone blocking scheme where and and you can you can see it go go watch the replays of the of the tyus 
uh, Wildcat run. I mean, the offensive line directs the Duke defenders such that the hole is open and Tyus flies through it and then pulls over a guy with his shoulder. That's the strategy when Northwestern runs the ball. It's not, you know, blow these guys off the, off the ball and open up a hole the size of a Mack truck. It's a technical blocking scheme. And Marty, for his physicality, like, really fits that to John's point. Right. And it's like, if, if you're... If you're under center, I mean, great. And like, honestly, like, I'd like to see more under center. I feel like every time we've watched uh, a a pitch out with this team, it your takeaway is I want to see that again. Yeah, seriously. I feel like that. It's like every time you watch it this season, and we've wanted to see it. You're like, that looked great. Do that again. Um, and there's that. But anytime like you're running out of a shotgun, you run a read option concept. There's a 50-50 chance Andrew Marty's keeping that ball. A lot of times, just because he wants to. Um, and like that's uh, and and you you've unbalanced a defense when you when you've done that and you're taking away their ability to key on a run and you're you're putting them off kilter and I mean that's one of the things that that we feel is is you know has been missing kind of on both sides of the ball is just we're feeling like defenses are getting and and offenses are getting a bead on what we want to do now again Marty to discuss this point, you know, threw to some wide open guys and had the benefit. And again, I know everyone wants to jump on Hunter and we're not arguing that he did not have a just atrocious. I mean, he just had a, an awful game. Right. Um, but Marty had the ability of coming in with none of the weight of the PTSD of the blocking performance that had led up to that point. <laughs> and that Marty's first touchdown required him to sit in the pocket for an amount of time that I don't know that any quarterback who had had the experience of a full half with that pass pro is going to sit in there. It's just like, you're going to be like, you're going to be, I'm going to get hit any second because that was kind of what was going on. Yeah. Um, Hunter was absolutely like seeing ghosts. Right. Right. I mean, he he was was. shaken. Yeah, totally. And then in the second half, Marty almost got lit up a couple of times in dropbacks and got himself out of it. I mean, there was one that should have been a sack um, that was the exact same kind of situation. So it's like, my, my point is, in pass downs, the problems all remain. Um, this gives us a, you know, Marty being in gives us a lot more dynamicism in the run game, which is fantastic, and that's why I'm kind of going. But it's like, Johnson, Marty, Holinsky, if we have a quarterback dropping back into the pocket, there are these massive issues that have to get solved. And if not, the passing game is going to continue to be submarine. So, um, you know, and that, and that's the big issue there. And that's the thing where it's like, we're, we, you know, Josh Preeb's on the depth chart this year, this week, Sam Garak is. And it's like, that's awesome. Let that be a start. Please let those guys be, be good to play. Um, and let them kind of keep building at it. But, but yeah, you know, but, but with that said, I mean, well, well I, I do want to hit the depth chart briefly yeah. and this is, a, this will serve as a nice transition to the, to the second half defense. But um, if you haven't seen it, it came out tonight uh, on what is this Monday? Monday. Night. Yeah. So probably everybody's going to have seen it once they hear this podcast, but there are double oars at the quarterback position. It's Hunter or Marty or Holinsky. Um, obviously all three of them play. We haven't really talked about Holinsky who, you know, was admirable in his, in his attempt to, you know, um, it was, complete I mean, comeback. I mean, right. It was like, here's, here, congrats. Here's, here's your first reps. Go, go get them. <laughs> yeah. But pre- pretty rough, you know, rip off the bandaid moment. I thought he did, you know, all right, despite, you know, missing a few passes, you know, right out of the gate as, as, as uh, cold as he was coming to the game. But um, I, you know, 
there's a lot of people that are saying it's it's Marty or bust. That saying we should never see Hunter play again. That are you know I, I haven't seen a ton of people on the on the Holinsky train, but I'm I'm sure there are some. The reality is, folks, like you probably haven't seen the last of any of these QBs, and I think those double ores are the only true thing on that entire depth chart. Cause, cause other outside of the ores around the quarterbacks yeah, and, and like <laughs> the removal this... of Berkeley Holman, cause he was injured. Nary a name or position has changed since before the Michigan state game on that depth chart, which is really goofy given that this team is two and is one and two and has looked pretty rough in their two losses. And I just like, I think the QB job, I don't want to say that it's, I think it's totally up for grabs right now. Honestly, I'm sure they're going to come in with come into this next game with a plan. I hope it's a I hope it's a good plan. Um, I don't know what that plan is or what it should be. I'm just telling you all to, to gird yourselves. It would not be that surprising to me if Hunter Johnson walked out as a starter against Ohio. Like I, I'm, it, I'm honestly I'm expecting that. Yeah. Right. It's and, extremely plausible. Right. And again, it's like we're. It's like, and maybe we've fallen into the trap of this before, but, you know, at the start of this season, we, we talked about so many guys are on depth chart and then so many other guys that we that we want to see. And on both sides of the ball, it, it just could not be more clear that with the exception of a small handful of guys, what's on the depth chart is what you're going to see. And that, I mean, and, and I don't, and, you know, I don't know how much, I mean, it, it sucks to say because on one hand, I don't know. You want to get into the hole. I mean, we talked about with Jay forever, the September swoon, right? And be like, hey, we tend to get this figured out. The adjustments tend to happen, et cetera. And being like, that's true. Like, we've seen it before. But, I mean, you look at, like, it's hard not to be like, Michigan State was the mulligan. That's what that felt like. I mean, so many things went so wrong. And then Duke is definitely a worse team. And so many of the things happened writ large. And... I mean, I'm just like, Fitz couldn't wait in the post-game press conference to, like, emphasize as much as he could that we didn't change nothing defensively from a scheme standpoint. He was, that was a point that he wanted to make, that, like, we didn't change nothing. The guys got it together and we coached it up. And it's like, there, there it is. Therein lies the man. So it's like, that, that's going to be the approach. Um, and, and again, I'm like that option a I talked about before, God, I will swoon if we come out against Nebraska in a three, four that we haven't seen yet with personnel we haven't seen yet, but it's point, to, to, just to belabor that point, not because you think that that's going to be incredible, but it would like, it would underscore the point that we're trying something and we're and like, we made a, we, we tried to hire a guy to do what he's good at. Hey, don't soft sell incredible. Scott Frost has shown what happens when you come out with a three, four, he's not expecting. Like <laughs> it, it can only be incredible. God. Uh, yeah. but, this is, but, oh, this is all because of what Illinois did it, in Nebraska it, it, it that is, opening night. It? I, it is. It would, oh man. Uh, that yeah, is I would, some galaxy uh, brain thinking guys. Yeah. I could almost I could almost forgive the uh the, these this four week period. Yeah. I mean but again it's just like it's it's he wants to he has chosen his guys and he wants to dance with those guys. And um you know again it's like for worse the results we have seen for massive chunks of this season for better the history that tells you that he tends to figure this out and that a lot of times there are great back end results. So, but I mean, it's just, we've, we are, we have been frustrated with a lot of this 
I mean, that game was the Duke game. I mean, no lie, was a traumatic game for all of us. Sammy and I were in my living room watching this game, and I trauma is the only way to to sell it. Really, um, it, and, let me tell you, that was a long drive home. It, it yeah, I mean, it was, and 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 then of course on top of that, hearing from all of you and all of your anger and all of your frustration, and it's like you know, like there's there's always a part of you that wants to be like look at the way we finish this game look at this Fitz has a history of doing this etc but we're in we are incapable of not weighing all the other stuff and feeling the burden of all that stuff and everything baked into it and that's you know that's where we've been going um and that's that's why we've been talking i think at the end of the day we believe that this team still has a ton of talented guys an ability to run the ball a great running back stable one of the best we've had in years um and and good wide receivers robinson and kurtz continue to look great um and there are just a lot of pieces here and somehow this team has just got to kind of unscrew itself and find either the the right changes the right new personnel the right additions to the playbook right um, to to unlock this stuff and and then we can go forward. I mean, we obviously have had a complete expectation reset. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, wins and a bowl and looking at the rest of the schedule, like those things are achievable if this team can can find these answers. But I mean, it's there's there are just it's it's like Scott said, like we're we're like sifting through the ashes right now and finding the way forward, and it's there, but. It's gonna have to find it. I, I do I do want to move on. Um, yep. Guys, did you have any last uh, thoughts on this game before? I mean, there's not a ton to preview from Ohio. They're not good. But uh, before we before we get there, any any last words here? I I mean, it's like the the whole everything is just lacking confidence. The fans have no confidence. The players aren't showing a lot of confidence. The coaches don't seem to be. I mean. The, Fitz showed a lot of confidence in that uh, post game um, press conference, but like I don't, I don't think you like, and, and maybe they're quote unquote showing confidence in their players by not moving parts around, like John said. But there's like you got to manufacture it at some point, right? Um, we used to talk about this with with uh, Trevor Simeon and and like the the seven step drop on third and long after seven step drop on third and long, and he just get blown up. And I was like, can we just like can we get the guy out there on first and second down and give him a couple, a couple throws to like get him in a groove? Um, you got to manufacture some confidence for the team. And luckily we have an opponent coming up where that is exceedingly doable. Um, Ohio for, for anyone who's not aware, like their coach left there, they've been a raging dumpster fire. Um, uh, I shouldn't say their coach left their, their coach retired like late in the, in the summer. And they've just, they've just been a mess. And, um, I'm not suggesting that doesn't mean there's going to be moments in this game where we where we all you know grit our teeth or or um, you know make uh, horrible noises, but it's an opportunity for Northwestern to get some confidence, and that's what they sorely need right now. Yeah, absolutely, and I think there there are you know again like be be prepared for a game that we muddle through again. I was like I was you know. They are a dumpster fire. 
they also are going to know uh, Ohio, Ohio, Ohio. Yeah, sorry, not at all. Yeah, not the, the, far from it. <laughs> the um, Ohio is is a dumpster fire, but they are going to have a super clear plan of attack. Like they're going to look at the tape and they're going to know what they're going to try to do. And I think, but the the flip side is, you know, right. There are certain places like again, our running attack you know, continues to be good and can definitely gash this defense. And they're, they're giving up 253 yards right. per game on the and ground. And this team, right. And we've proven that if, if that's the kind of thing that a team's doing on the ground, we can hit that. So I think that's the kind of thing. And it's potentially that, that that's the, the kind of attack and the kind of performance and playing to some of the line strengths and just the kind of game that, right, we get some answers, but we also just to get a, get a W and get to catch our breath here. Um, before we head into Big Ten season. Uh, so real quick, um, I know we're running a little bit long, but I, I just kind of want to whip through the rest of the conference um, this past week and kind of talk about the this upcoming schedule. Um, Maryland beat Illinois 20-17. to 17. Um, Illinois, I just don't know what to make of them, other than they're bad. Um, they started inexplicably they started Brandon Peters for this entire game Shocking. and guess what he was he was way less than 50% complete and he threw one pick and no TDs so like there's your answer right there we watched also too like Maryland doesn't have a great a great defensive line if you want to like Illinois offensive line cannot pass block to save their lives like I mean for Northwestern's problems Illinois has worse problems and that's going to just submarine them that's a that's a like high, really talented O line too. Just and they can run. They can out. run block. They can run block, and they can run. But it's that's where they get crushed. Uh, Oklahoma beat Nebraska twenty three sixteen. I mean, there's definitely worry there. I mean, Nebraska's defense showed up, but Oklahoma's offense has been a kind of a mess all season. Not trying to like diminish what what this they was did, good. But... This was good. This was good. Adrian Martinez, but for one play. Um, and it was maybe the most spectacular catch you'll see all, all, all of this year. Um, but he, you know, he only missed six passes. Uh, he had a really high yards per yards per attempt. Um, he got the, he got the touchdown. He carried the ball 17 times, which is way too much, but scored a touchdown on the ground. But this was like good Adrian Martinez. And when you get good Adrian Martinez with, 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 that improved Nebraska defense, you get a reasonable team. At the same time, I don't feel like there was ever really a, like it never really felt like they were going to win this game. Right. No. And and at the same time, it's like Oklahoma is somehow still a top five team in the country and they barely beat Tulane and played a tight game with Nebraska and should mention, right, Nebraska missed a ton of kicks in this game in a game that was decided by seven points. So at once, Oklahoma did not and does not look that good this season. But I want to say, and Jay, this is this is for you more than anybody. Like Nebraska does look improved. Um, they would be three and one if they hadn't lost to an atrocious Illinois team. Um, and if if but for that, they would be three and one with a close loss to Oklahoma on their resume. Their defense is better. You know exactly what Adrian Martinez is. He's trick or treat, and you're going to get games like this, and you're going to get absolute stinkers too. And that's what they're going to ride. Like that's that's their offense, and they are that's what they're going with. You know exactly what Nebraska is showing on offense. Their defense is better. It's better, particularly because of the strength of their linebacker core. And 
that's and that's the thing that gives that gives them a chance. So I'm like Nebraska is better, and they would be better on paper if they hadn't given that up. Now again, it's like Nebraska will make absolute boneheaded plays and play atrocious football for stretches, and that's why they lost to Illinois, um, and that's what cost them you know a, a game against a pro, you know potentially down Oklahoma team. But yeah, there that let's put it this way. I'm I'm certainly not feeling great about it right now. That's going to be a game. <laughs> uh, Iowa beat Kent State thirty to seven. Um, yeah, I mean they should. I mean they should be third in the, the nation right now. There's no reason why they shouldn't be. I think they're like what fourth or fifth right now. But that was a cruise control game. They're they're onward and upward. Uh, Cincinnati beat Indiana thirty eight twenty four. That game was uh, much closer than I think Cincinnati wanted it to be early, but. Uh, Michael Penix just does not look right. Yeah, Penix was 17 of 40 with three picks. He he threw two TDs as well, but he he looks like a guy who's just really struggling for it right now, and that's uh, that's why Indiana's wanted to. Yep, exactly. Ohio State beat Tulsa 41-20. Um, yep. Yeah, something. Something's, and, uh, uh, th- there's definitely some concern going up in Columbus. Yeah, like when Tulsa's quarterback throws for 428. Yeah, they're. Uh, it's funny we were we were laughing real quick. There's the whole thing with who is it? Uh, uh, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, and someone asked him in the post game press conference why was something like why was Georgia's defense so good? And he just went off on this whole thing, being like, "Cause they have five star guys at every single position, and like they're all like crazy big and fast." And it's like, well, five star guys at every position isn't always the solution defensively. <laughs> I point you to the Ohio State Buckeyes, cause. Those are all five-star dudes, and that defense is a mess right now. Uh, Penn State holds off Auburn 28-20. Penn State looks good. Yeah. Yep. Going to be James, really interesting when they play Iowa. James Franklin showing out for that USC job right now. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Harson couldn't Brian Harson his way to a victory over That's a Big shocking. Ten team. Uh-huh. Uh, Notre Dame beat Purdue 27-13. Um, such, I mean – this whole drum thing is just ridiculous. Yeah, I don't even want to talk about it. This, I mean, this game was interesting early, and then uh, Kyron Williams just, just too much drops a fifty-yard run uh, for a touchdown to seal it in the fourth quarter. Like you know, David Bell got banged up in this game, um, so I think like that certainly hurt Purdue. But um, they they were outclassed. Yeah, and interestingly, it's funny because they were outclassed. The game was close early, though, and there was a moment where it was like 7-3, Notre Dame was leading, and West Virginia had just beaten Virginia Tech, and Purdue beat West Virginia. So Purdue's, Purdue was looking pretty hot at that moment, and, you know, they're, whatever their expectations for this season, they're, they're looking all right. I think David Bell uh, is now in concussion protocol, so mm. that, that's a huge loss for Purdue if that uh, is kind of ongoing. Uh, Michigan State beat Miami 38-17 down in Coral Gables. Um, looked good. Looked good doing it. Kenneth Walker, 27 for 172. I was making us feel good right until we kicked. We, <laughs> yeah. we were looking at that score being like, oh, good, positive indicator. But either way, Michigan State just looks like a good football team. There's no doubt about that. It'll be really interesting to see them against Nebraska this weekend. Yeah. Uh, Michigan, nine straight touchdowns to start the game to beat Northern Illinois 63-10. to <laughs> Yippee-doo. It's, it's tough because, right, like Michigan has had creamy frosting. They are chowing down on that creamy frosting. Like Michigan has 
beaten the tar out of some very bad teams, but we, we still need a, some frame of reference. Uh, Minnesota goes to Boulder, shuts out Colorado 30 Sammy. to nothing. Goodness. Colorado had 63 offensive yards the entire game. Something's had yeah. Some, something's rotten in Boulder. That's so, all I can Something's a little rough going, going on in uh, Tatanka land. And uh, yeah. R- Rutgers beat Delaware 45-13. Um, elsewhere around the country, I mean, the, the Florida-Alabama game was was wild. The fact that Florida came back so close. Um, and anything else kind of jump at you guys from, uh, from this past week? Not really. Okay. Uh, most I, of the big I, games were, were Big Ten. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I'm going to be completely honest. I knew there were there knew there was some big stuff. And I after our game, I was just done. That was, <laughs> that was I didn't have much left. All right. So this weekend, Penn State at home against Villanova. Great. Congratulations. That's awesome. Pass. Uh, Notre Dame, Wisconsin at Soldier Field. So so Bucky didn't play last weekend. Um and Notre Dame got the tune-up against against Purdue. This will be this will be an interesting affair. Yeah, I have I have no better idea about this one than I did this before this past week. I need both. You know, whoever finds it first wins. I guess if you made me guess, I would say Wisconsin um, on the strength of their running. But I but I could just as soon be wrong. I like. <laughs> It could go either way. Wisconsin. Jack Cohn, Jack Cohn uh, facing his former team. Will it be Andy Dalton versus the Bears? Or Andy Dalton uh, versus the Bengals? Or will it be Tom Brady versus the Patriots? <laughs> TBD. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin's a five-and-a-half-point favorite there. Um, Bowling Green at Minnesota. Yeah. Min- Minnesota's a 30-point favorite there. Yeah. That, I mean, heck, Minnesota, they got that win I don't think we necessarily expected against Colorado, and they've managed to – String a couple together, even with uh, Ibrahim out. So, you know, good on them. Uh, Colorado State is at Iowa. Iowa's a 23-point favorite. Colorado State's a mess, you know, I mean, as, as much as Colorado is. So that, that should that be an sounds, easy win for Iowa. That sounds like a, a bang the over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rutgers, 3-0 and Rutgers at 3-0 and Michigan. Michigan a 19-point favorite, but Rutgers is feisty. So it's interesting, like – Whatever happens in this game, um, I don't think we're really going to learn much about either one of these teams because it's either going to be Michigan beating Rutgers by a lot, which like, okay, or it's going to be tight either way, and it's going to be like, okay, we know Rutgers has improved. We know Michigan, like, we're, we're not sure if Michigan has improved. They they look good against against Creamy Frosting, but um, I don't know. I, I, I know. I It's funny, like, this is talking about – expectation resets right i would have said at the start of the season that what i'd really be looking for is a tight game here where michigan looks like crap now i'm like i kind of want to see michigan just erase rutgers and have it be the same rutgers against syracuse because at this point i'm looking trying to be like where are we going to grab wins and i want rutgers to just rutgers the crap out of this game so that i can be feeling better about that game in a couple of weeks Uh, we got illinois at purdue purdue an 11 point favorite at home uh, only if David Bell plays. Yeah, that, that, that is that is definitely the big question. Kent State at Maryland, great, cool, whatever. Maryland's a fourteen and a half point favorite. Talia three fifty to four hundred in that one probably. Uh, Nebraska at Michigan State. Michigan State a five, only a five point favorite at home against Nebraska. 
Yeah, I mean, like Michigan State's strength is their is their ground game, and Nebraska's been better against the run. So it's, I mean, this is going to be pretty interesting. Now, now, by the other token, like Michigan State is really good against the run, so that's like, that's a potential problem for the Cornhuskers. But we'll see. I mean, again, like if you get a good Adrian Martinez game, um, you know, I, 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 these teams are also both coming off of really massive week three affairs so there's a there's a letdown concern on both sides of the ball yeah i mean credit where i mean michigan state has yet to make a wrong move this season so i'm i'm gonna until seen otherwise like that team's rolling right now it 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 remains stunning how well mel tucker has stitched together a dental floss and duct tape set of yes talented guys but guys from all over the place and 22 transfers that's really it's amazing incredible to pull that into them that to that culture and make it look seamless like they have this year is really incredible. Yep. Akron at Ohio State. Ohio State a 49 point favorite. Everyone's yeah. been talking about this because they're they're doing the math being like Akron's probably going to score like 20 21 <laughs> something <laughs> points in this game. So how many does Ohio State have to score? But you know, yeah, it'll probably Ohio State's probably going to score 60. And then in- Akron's really bad. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're atrocious. They only scored 24 on Temple. Uh, finally, Indiana is at Western Kentucky. Uh, Indiana's a nine-point favorite against the Hilltoppers. Yeah. yeah. We, we talked a while ago about how, like, Indiana was just facing that murderer's row in, you know, at the start of the season, and it didn't go well for them, but... As we often say, as Scuzz often says, Indiana's goals are ahead of them. If uh, yeah, they can, yes, they, they can, are. they can get it together now. Um, just kind of glancing around uh, some other big games, I'm kind of interested in this LSU Mississippi State game. That could be entertaining. Um, I can't, can't quite get my head around that. I guess I'm just too scarred. Yeah, from I like. Neither one of them's ranked. Yeah, uh, it, it it's it's. I think it's just going to be a weird. I think there's going to be weirdness in that game. I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a good game. I just think it's going to be bizarre. What, I think what should be a good I think game, game is Texas A and M Arkansas. Yeah, that's one of those ones where Arkansas is kind of flying high right now with the Texas win. But I I'm kind of like. As, as often is the case, like, what really is a Texas win? Like, are they even good? I don't even know. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be – that's going to be an interesting barometer. And all of a sudden, you know, Arkansas somehow picks that win up. They've got a real special season. The big one I have circled is Clemson-NC State. Because NC – Clemson is just, like, flirting right now with – it's like that offense is just a mess – and they're just expected to roll here. And God, they, number number nine in the country is bananas. That's weird. I know, and that's the thing. I mean, like this is they. This is a team that just has trouble scoring points. Period. And now they're in a game where it should be like a winnable game, but it's going to be at an end. You know that that NC State's going to be bananas for that game, and NC State's going to feel like, look, you know, twenty one points maybe gets us the dub here. So. That's uh, that's just the game I think a lot of people are going to be focused on. Game days at Soldier Field. Um, the ABC night game is West Virginia, Oklahoma. It's not overly compelling for me. Again, same kind of thing. West Virginia beat 
Virginia Tech last week, mm-hmm. and they're definitely like this Oklahoma team can be had. So um, there are a lot of teams ranked very high right now who look beatable. I think everyone looks beatable. I mean, not Alabama. Well, Alabama. No, Alabama. Play, and, like, no, you're right. Florida, you know, gave them a, a real good scare. I, I there's flaws everywhere. Alabama Georgia is going to be a, a hell of a game. Absolutely. Yeah. Wait, are they, do they play each other? I, SEC I championship. I mean, so it'd be the SEC championship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If it gets that far, I mean, I I would imagine it will. I mean, unless Bama drops one to like an A and M. If yeah. if A and M is is as good as they think they are, uh, that's what that's what makes it all fun. Um, yep. Let's let's wrap it up. Any any last thoughts before we go? Oh, it's let's let's all get get through this together, people. Let's take our take our deep breaths. Hopefully, you know we can all catch our wind against Ohio. Um, oh, we should mention Sammy, right? Like we, I think we know where we're gonna be for that. Game, yeah, right? East East lot. Um, you know, we had a, a wonderful tailgate uh, last time in the East lot, and that is where our parking permit is for this season. So, uh, yeah, look for us in the East lot. Um, I think <laughs> we're going to be right by Wildcat Alley. Uh, it was a really good time uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so I know. You, come come, make your snarky East lot pirates comments to our face in the East lot. <laughs> come Come visit us. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and and again, especially if you've got kids, yeah, Wildcat Alley is, is the place, and we were set up right next to that. So yeah, so yeah, East Lot is where we'll be, and I mean, we had a ton of fun last time we were there, Sammy. So I'm I'm psyched to go back. Absolutely. Oh well, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website westlotpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlot Pirates. Email the show westlotpirates at gmail.com. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to your pods. It really does help us uh, spread the wealth, spread the knowledge, uh, and, and spread the reach of the show, um, which we would definitely appreciate. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. 